Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Mr. Nick Zagelski, and today we have Mr. Marcus Chan for our round two, the one and only president founder of Venley Consulting Group. Nick, why should people listen? Sometimes when I am leaving voicemails, when I'm making my cold calls, I feel like I'm on the elliptical, and I've set the resistance setting to zero. What I mean by that is I feel like I'm doing all this work, but I'm not really getting anywhere or making any impact at all because nobody calls me back on my voicemails. But Marcus taught me something today that is going to flip things around and get prospects calling you back. That's all I got, Armand. Three, two, one, call me, baby. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. All right, Marcus, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. 
Awesome, man. Let's dive right into it. So the first one is my 70% voicemail callback framework. Now, most people hate to leave a voicemail because the truth is most don't get a response back. And But the truth is with a 5 to 10% connect rate, that's 90, 95% of people you don't talk to. So if you can get a fraction to call you back, you're already the head of the game. So the way you do it that gets you a really high callback rate is very, very simple. So on a cold voicemail early in the sequence, what you want to do is leverage curiosity and authority to engage a callback. So hear how that sounds. It sounds like this. Hey, Nick, it's Marcus. I'm calling in reference to Lemlist. Please give me a call back at 541-123-4567. Again, 541-123-4567. Thank you. Now, note there the non-salesy tonality and the attitude as that is what makes it work. And when I'm inserting the name of Lemless there, I'm just inserting a, a, cus- a relevant current customer name of similar size. This will cu- make them curious and create some FOMO when they get this 12, uh, 12 second voice and making them want to call you back, hopefully as soon as possible. Beautiful. What's number two, Marcus? Cool. So number two is very simple. It's the sliding scale for eliminating objections proactively. Now, before presenting price, you want to eliminate all the conscious and unconscious objections for all buying influences. Any objections you don't handle upfront can potentially surprise you on the back end, which is never a fun thing. So before you share the price, you just want to insert one really, really simple question, which sounds like this. Pricing aside, on a scale of one to 10, one being, I hate this, never want to see you again, and 10 being, yes, is exactly what I need or what we need, where do you fall exactly? So at that point, they can give you a number. Let's just say they say seven. Then you, you ask the next question, which sounds like, well, what's seven mean for you exactly? And then, of course, if necessary, what do you think is potentially holding you back from a nine or 10? Now, what happens is this will logically flesh out other objections that can help you redirect your sales process so then you can actually eliminate all their objections before you actually get to the close. Beautiful. Round us out, Marcus. What's number three? Awesome. So a third one, very simple. It's utilizing damaging admissions to increase trust and certainty with your prospect. Now, the truth is, uh, as a salesperson, we're all salespeople here. We love to talk about how awesome our product solution is. Now, as part of your demo or presentation, you want to include a damaging admission to admit any faults, flaws, or issues up front. So, for example, after you've shared some incredible features and benefits with them, you add something like this in. Full transparency, Nick, our software integrates perfectly with Salesforce. But if you change to a different CRM, our software won't work as smoothly. Alrighty, so let's let's go back to your voicemails and then make our way into discovery. So what you're doing is you're saying, hey, let's say I'm calling Coca-Cola. I might say like, hey, I'm calling in regards to Pepsi or Doritos even, right? It might not even be a competitor. And you're saying nothing about what you do, who you are, the company that you're at, all that jazz. What are the kinds of calls back that you get yeah. after this. It's awesome. So this is uh, this is why it's key to do this early on in the sequence, right? So when they call you back, there's a couple different ways you can go. Either number one, they're confused. They call you up. They're like, hey, so you gave me a call. Uh, it's, you know, it's it's Bob over at Pepsi. Like, you know, what's, what's going on? And they're actually a little bit confused, which is actually good because that means resistance is down. So now you're able to go into your typical opener, right? Which is very, very powerful. 
Or number two, sometimes what you'll see, depending on the size of the business, they may think it's a potential opportunity for a partnership or a customer for them, and they're pretty excited. So let's just say, for example, they call you, and you're probably busy when they call anyway. You're probably on the phone. You're doing something. You're in meetings. They might leave a voicemail for you. It's amazing how often when they call you back and they get your voicemail, they'll say, hey, uh, you know, hey, Nick, uh, it's, it's Bob over Pepsi. Like, I'm sorry I missed your call, but, um, you know, I'm never really in my office. So here's my cell number. Here's my direct line. Or I'm available at this time later today if you're able to talk. So what happens is they're more open to talk, which is actually just absolutely awesome. And sometimes you might play even a little bit of phone tag. So you kind of go back and forth. And now suddenly even your second voicemail to them, it's like, hey, it's Marcus again. Sorry for the phone tag. Now you have this like really odd rapport built with someone you never talked to before. So when you get on there, you have immediate levity to break the ice. And now you can actually have a real conversation about what they're doing and book a deeper discovery from there. That's what happens over time. And then you'll get a small percentage of them where they just, they don't call you back, right? They don't call you back, right? So then when you call them again, a few days later, and you leave a very similar voicemail, now they have two voicemails and they're like, wow, this is strange. If, they're, if they have it on their phone, it's transcribed. Like, this is really strange. I wonder what's going on. Am I missing something? Which again, caused them to want to respond back to you, which is wildly powerful because then obviously when they call you back, they can book that meeting once you talk to them. So Marcus, let's, uh, let's talk about that first response or that first callback. They call you back and they're like, hey, you called me about Pepsi, right? You said go back to your original opener. What does that sound like? Awesome. So I like really simple and direct openers, right? So let's just say they, they call me back and they say, oh yeah, it's, it's Bob with Pepsi. You called me. I say, oh, awesome. Notice the tonality. Oh, oh, it's awesome. Hey, Bob, thanks so much for calling me. Notice here a couple of things. The tonality shifted. So it's really important to understand that there's a differentiation. Now the, the tonality is completely shifted. Oh, Bob, thank you so much for calling me. Right. You know, hey, the reason I actually called is I'm actually with whatever company you're with. Okay. And I called in reference to whatever reference you dropped. And the reason I actually called because of that, because we're actually working with them with whatever solution, whatever offering you have. And I thought potentially you might be a really good fit as well for this solution as well. But I know I initially called you out of the blue and you called me out of the blue. But do you have some time to chat about it right now for five or 10 minutes? And at that point, they have a decision to make. And usually their resistance is down, so they're like, sure. Or they say, oh, I'm actually kind of busy right now, but you know, maybe in a couple of weeks. Great. At that point, now you can just pull your calendar up and you book them into your calendar. And because, again, the resistance is down, they're still drastically more open to that conversation as long as your tonality is spot on and you're casual with your approach. Well, what you're doing here is really smart because one of the things that we know about selling is sometimes you got to demonstrate a little bit of social proof. And sometimes when I'm emailing Armand's company, I might mention in that email, hey, we work with these two people who are really similar to you. And that's what your voicemail is doing. You're literally just saying, hey, I'm calling in reference to X. And X is that piece of social proof. And so like if, like, again, to Armand, similar example to yours, if I called Visa and I say, hey, I'm calling about American Express, they're, they're like, oh, oh. What the heck is this? And what you did is really smart because normally I'm like, they call me back and I'm like, oh yeah, this was a sales call. And then their guard goes up instantly. And instead what you're doing is you're actually just flipping it. You're saying you're starting with social proof and then going into your value prop or problem prop. Correct. As opposed to what most Correct. people do, which is they start with their value prop and problem prop, and then they go into the social proof. My question for you is one of the things that we've learned from other guests is 
it's good to attack multiple channels, right? Leave a voicemail, send a LinkedIn message, send an email. Are there other associated prospecting activities with this voicemail script that are similar or is it just the voicemail? So I have found it works most likely with just voicemail um, because this is why it works best early in the sequence. Because say, for example, if you if your first first touch point is a call, you leave a voicemail. And then if you go and start, you know, send them messages on you know email, LinkedIn, et cetera, over the next several days, now there's too much familiarity at that point. Now you you really lose the whole reason why it works so well. So that's why I always recommend you start off with calls first. And personally, I prefer the calls first as a touch points, leaving the voicemail. Cause again, if they if I email them, I can't handle objection that I don't hear. On the phone, when I get that object, if I get an objection when they call me back. That's great because now I can really feel them out and really position myself for hopefully a meeting with them, if not set up for a future state, you know, future situation where maybe we meet in a couple of months or something. But then we have some more familiarity up front. So that's why typically the deeper you are in your sequence, it's not as effective. So like let's say it's like three weeks in, you're like, you know, maybe you have a 15 point sequence, you know, touch a point sequence. At that point, you do a voicemail at the very end. It may not work as well as you like because they already know you. They're like, okay, this guy's already called. I've already seen his emails. I've seen his messages. He's he's commenting on my LinkedIn. It's just not as effective at that point. So can we roll right into the objection handling side of things where you get that call back and you tell them, yeah, the reason I was calling you is because we're working with Visa and here's what we did for them. What are some of the common objections that you'll get when they call you back and then you give your pitch that you then handle? And how? Yeah, so I mean, especially if it's a, if it's a big opportunity, a lot of times like they they probably have someone in place, right? Whatever vendor, so it's really usually quite common. So they say, oh, you know what? Sometimes sometimes if you have like someone who's kind of sales savvy, they'll be like, dang, that was good. <laughs> okay, you got me to call you back. They kind of laugh a little bit, like yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, but I'm I'm you know you're you're funny, Marcus. But uh, you know, we're 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 actually totally good, man. We already have this vendor. We've used them for a number of years. I say. Cool, that's fantastic. That makes a lot of sense because you are Visa, you are Pepsi, you are whomever. So if you don't mind me asking, who are you guys currently using? That's it. So I opened up a little bit of the conversation. Oh, you've been using Company X for whatever I'm selling. Oh, that's great. I've heard amazing things about them. I have nothing but good things to say about them. And then depending on the angle I want to go, it might be like, hey, so we actually have a few different solutions that can really complement really nicely if you're open to learning a little bit more. So again, I know this is a little bit out of the blue again. So do you want to keep this conversation going right now? Or we can set up a deeper conversation, like 15, 20 minutes, say next week at Monday at 1 p.m. So again, I'm just addressing it. I'm not making it a big deal. Again, we're just having a conversation about it. Now works really well, especially if they feel like they've been very loyal to their vendor for a very long time. Marcus, can you talk a little bit about the intentionality around tone? on the cold calls like a lot of times you're just like oh yeah of course like yeah, i know those guys or when you get a call back you're like oh hey awesome it's good to hear from you again like what are some of the deadly sins that you hear folks do around tone and how, how can we do it a little bit better on the phones such a good question so i think one of the things especially if you are like a bdr sdr is your tonality does not align to the level of status of the person you're calling so when you call someone who is a C-suite, a high-level, you know, high-level decision maker, and you sound like this is the first time you made a cold call, they're not going to want to talk to you. Like that's one. It's such a simple little thing where that's where the words you say really don't matter as much as how you actually say it. 
So if you notice here, even with uh, well, not what in this, 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 these role plays we're doing, it's coming off like, hey, I know this person. I'm of equal status and I'm very comfortable. It's as if I've done it thousands of times. Now, personally, I have, but you know, even if you are relatively new, it's making sure that even when you practice it, when your tonality comes through, it sounds like you've done it a thousand times. And then when you get the objections, which is going to happen regardless, do you sound like it's the first time you ever heard it? It's like, oh, oh, um, okay, that that makes sense that you have a vendor. Yeah, for sure. Versus, yeah, it makes sense. Of course you have a vendor. <laughs> like, you are Visa. <laughs> of course you have a vendor in place. You're not a startup. You've been around for literally decades. So understand the tonality piece of having that conviction and confidence. And whatever they throw at you, it really needs to sound like you've heard it thousands of times. And it's not a big deal. If it sounds like a big deal, they feel like you have no experience and that you're not actually going to be relevant in helping them out in solving whatever issue you claim you could solve for them. So, Marcus, you, you talked about role plays. And one of the things we've story told about in the past is I would walk around the streets of San Francisco and I would just imagine someone with my headsets on, not talking to anyone. I would imagine someone said, I'm not interested. And I would practice the laugh. I would practice being like, I guess you would have cold called me if you were interested. And I would practice these things a million times so that when it came to me on a cold call, I was ready for it. And I had heard it a million times from myself. Now, I looked a little bit weird, um, but maybe you have some other ways where you might not look as weird. But what are other ways that I can go about practicing that confidence uh, and getting better and get, getting more reps in on the phone before I actually get into live action? Yeah, great question. So repetition is a father mastery. I mean, that's just what happens. Um, I thought I love you sharing that specifically about you walking through San Francisco. Like back when I was a field rep, I would do the same thing in my car, driving my 45-minute commute. I was role-playing out loud like the worst prospects. Like I'm like, I imagine they're like cursing me out and I'm still like, I'm like, oh, I've heard that a million times. And I, and I keep going. You know, for those who are, you're probably working at home right now, it's actually building in time with a repetition. So no different than, you know, sports and anything else. The top athletes aren't the ones who'd only like really catch the ball on the field. They are off the field in the gym. They're practicing nonstop to really make sure when that ball is thrown to them, when that person answers a the phone, they're ready to go. So it's taking the time to build it in, even if it's if it's five minutes a day. It's even, it's it's, not, it's still better than not doing it. But on top of that, what I really recommend is you need to put yourself into state, right? So even you recording on your phone with a voice memo, you going through and imagining multiple objections, role playing the worst scenario, and record it. And then listen back to yourself over and over and over so you feel really good and you build your own internal confidence. Because as we all know, sales is a confidence game. It's a bank account. We either deposit in or we do withdrawals. And you need constant with deposits into that confidence bank to feel really good. One of the easiest ways to control that is simply making sure you do the repetitions. And the thing is, most sales managers aren't going to make you do it. So you have to hold yourself accountable to it because ultimately, that's what's going to make you good. When you take ownership in the game, that's how you actually really improve and you actually build confidence in your scripting, in what you say, in every single little thing. So for example, you've learned some scripting so far on this podcast as we're listening. It's not cool. That sounds good. I'm going to try out my, my first cold call. It's I'm going to write this down. And now I'm going to go and practice it 15 times, and now I'm going to go do it. And then when you sound really good and your conviction's there, that's how you get calls back. That's how you, when you start doing it, you'll probably get maybe 10% call back, 
then 20%, then 30%. And the more you do it, the easier it gets and it flows without you thinking. The other thing to note is find somebody and explain how your solution actually works to them. I will never forget my first ever sales job. I was sitting in the hot tub with my girlfriend and she was like, so what do you guys actually do? And I explained it to her and like midway through my face started getting really red. So I was like, it was not how I actually communicated. And she looked at me and she was like, what are you talking about? And so like, you've got to explain stuff the way that you would to a friend. And speaking of how we would explain stuff as we would to a friend, let's talk about, we've overcome the objection. Somebody called us back and we've shown up on the discovery call. There's an opportunity in the discovery call sometimes to explain our stuff. So you boot up the Zoom, Armand joins, he's only three minutes late, he's your customer. You're there with your smiling face, Marcus. How do you start that call? Sure. Um, so I think the the rookie mistake is you start talking about the weather, okay? Um, or you start like uh, you know go into some long spiel. You try to go into like a meet upfront agreement or something like that. Like not to say those things can't work. I'm just saying it's people are people are tired of that, right? And people want to know they're talking to a real human being, right? So you know Armand shows up late. It, it is it is what it is, right? So. I like to just start off like my camera's on, right? And sometimes they have the, they don't have the camera on or off. You don't really know. Maybe they do, they don't. I don't really care. But I'll have mine on and I'll, I'll pop on. But, you know, hey, Martin, what's going on, man? I want to make sure my camera's on so you know I'm a, re- a real dude in Oregon, not some rando in a cave somewhere. Break that. Pause. Let them kind of like, like ah, cool, cool. All right, cool. So I'm immediately showing I'm of equal staff, a peer that you, they can know, like, and trust me. We're like, we're just like, we should be able to have a great conversation. And then before I dive into stuff, I'm like, hey, so, you know, day going good, uh, good so far? That's it. Real simple. I, I don't want to spend 15 minutes talking about like a bunch of like, you know, baloney because I need to make sure like I have his attention right now. I finally got the meeting. What are we going to talk about next? So they they say, Oh, yeah, so what going good? I say, cool. I, I act, at that point, I have to actually insert a little personal thing in there just to humanize the situation, right? So that might sound something like, oh, great, cool. I just I just got done picking up my kid from school. Yeah, awesome. So I'm excited to chat with you. Something that's a little bit, a little bit personal message, it, again, it humanizes the situation, right? Uh, well, I forgot to mention as well, the backdrop to the videos is, is key too because if you're on Zoom, what they see around you may cause them to trigger certain things as well. It can either add trust or remove trust. So again, from there, they might be like, yours, yours is okay, Nick, I'm just saying. But in general, when they see it, they're like, oh, cool. Like, you got this cool green light, kind of like 30 MPC. All right, that's a nice that's a nice flow right there, all right, if you're watching the video. So they say, oh, cool, whatever. You, 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 you talk for a second and say, cool, awesome. So I say, obviously, hey, listen, obviously, uh, you know, you're very busy, so let's, uh, let's, just, let's just dive right in. Is that cool? Awesome, cool. And then I'll just do like a little bit of a recap based on what we discussed. Hey, so you know when we when we just when we chatted a couple of days ago when I when I called you out of the blue, you know what I mentioned was I'm I'm actually already working with Pepsi, helping them with whatever solution and achieving desired objectives. So my goal today is just to do a little bit of deep dive into your situation, and then from there we can kind of plan next steps to see what makes the most sense to potentially work together. Is that cool? Awesome, great. Basically, very casual, very simple, not a big deal, right? I find that oftentimes we get so caught up in the tactics, but what people don't realize is, Marcus, you and I get onto a Zoom, and in 30 seconds, I'm going to put you somewhere on the ladder in terms of where I see you presenting yourself. And a lot of folks, they come on board, and they're either super awkwardly or nervously trying to build rapport, or they come in overstructured, 
overstructured with the upfront contract, what have you. And what I find is that the the sooner you can figure out like what you actually want to say and just be comfortable saying what's actually on your mind in front of an executive, the sooner they start to respect that level of genuity for you. But way too many folks, you can tell they've read too many sales books and they over-manufacture the beginning of the call instead of being comfortable calling out an executive every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And that's how they rub elbows with each other. And oh, if you totally. get a level there, that's how you get that level of respect. 100%. I mean, you know, they, they have to, uh, again, they have to feel like you're least someone of value. They want, they're, they're, they're sizing you up once you get on the call. They're like, is this worth my time? And if they don't think it's worth the time, they'll be like, well, anyways, uh, Marcos, uh, we're good. We got to we gotta, we gotta wrap this baby up. I, I got to go. It's been two minutes. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I must have double booked. So you, you don't want that. You need to establish those as fast as possible because let's just say, for example, it's a big company like, say, it's Pepsi or Coca-Cola you're calling into. You know if you're calling, like, the executive vice president, they may not be the person that drives the whole deal, but you need their executive sponsorship to move the rest of the deal forward. So, and they're not going to pass you to the, all their, their team, their whole team, if they do not trust you, they'll cut you off and you're, and you're stuck in water. You're dead in the water. So Marcus, we've talked about the tone and the way that you present yourself, but if I'm in the room with a C-suite and I'm asking discovery questions, what are above the line topics or above the line questions that I can be asking instead of getting caught in the weeds? Sure. For sure. Yeah. So Typically, once when you're when you're talking to the C-suite at that high level of a big big organization, most of the time they they don't even, they may not even know what what software they're using. They may not know the ins and outs. They don't how how many users. They don't know the specifications that you may need to know. All they really care about is like, hey, how will you help them drive their overall objectives? Okay, now so for example, you know, if you want to be very simple direct, you can just literally go out and just, and just you start with their overall initiatives. Hey, so you, you establish you want to establish you di you've done your homework and your research in advance very quickly with them. So that might be as simple as hey, so you know, take a look at your guys's you know most recent earnings transcript from twenty twenty one, and also the call transcript. Might notice you guys said the three big priorities for this upcoming fiscal year is going to be major growth initiatives. And you're going to do that by doing X. And number two, it's going to be also improving safety as a company culture because you had X number of incidents that really impacted your overall turnover as a company. Whatever, I'm making something up. So for you, uh, did, did I, did I, am I correct and just make sure I read that properly? Yes, you are. Cool. Can you tell me a little more about specifically why you chose specific objectives? So now we're starting to go into overall key objectives. And some people, like, if you're a rookie salesperson, you're thinking, well, that's not going to help me sell my software. Actually, it does because ultimately, whenever you're selling whatever product or solution, it's going to help them achieve certain motives, and that's going to ultimately drive core objectives that the executive wants. So we can tie it all together by uncovering what, what they want at the highest level. It helps drive down everything else. So you start off to understand their core objectives, and then you go a little bit deeper, and then from there, you'll start seeing that they realize that you actually know what you're talking about. And that's wildly powerful again, because now you can utilize that because whatever key issues they have will trickle down to their teams and everything is aligned together. So you actually can move the deal forward. Otherwise, your solution becomes a nice to have and not a must have.
I want to point out a piece of distinction in what you were doing there. What you did not do was show up to that meeting and say, tell me about your priorities or what's important to you and your business this year. Instead, what you did is you said, here is what I found doing my research. Is that right? And newsflash, you won't always be right. You might have found like an outdated article or that person's specific team doesn't touch those things. But by very virtue of you having done some research and said, here's what I found when I was doing research, you've earned credit in the other person's book. You are always better off saying, here's what I found. Here's my hunch. Here's my thesis than saying, I don't know, you tell me. Are there other questions that you're going to ask? So now you get into a conversation, right? And they're talking about the growth initiatives and the different lines of business they're trying to grow. Like, Are there other questions or question techniques that you'll use to try to further that discovery call closer to you ultimately winning their business? So I think what's important to understand that you probably want to have some key, simple go-to frameworks, especially if you're kind of new to even just kind of discovery that you can kind of pull out and utilize for majority of situations, if you get stuck, what you don't want to happen is you, you don't want to just get that lull and you're like, let me just start pitching this, pitching this, this, this exec now on my solution. Let me start trying to do a mini demo. Let me pull a slide deck out. Don't do any of those things. So th the truth is, is that when you look at discovery, I picture it's just like an onion. And you ask the first couple layers of the question, you peel the first couple layers, but you want to keep diving deep as possible. And for sure, you can use like, you know, how, what, and why questions. But sometimes, even in the moment, it's not as appropriate, it doesn't make as much sense. So, a couple really simple go to easy phrases you can literally use right now. Whatever they say, you can just say, Great. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? And just stop talking and just wait. Let the silence fill the call so they can tell you more. Another really simple one is, can you elaborate a little bit more about that? Again, you can use these for like a majority of situations now because those are really simple, easy ones, you know, because obviously you can go into the how and the what, but you incorporate those couples, those, those one, tell me a little bit more. Can you elaborate about that? Now, you can, they're going to start diving deep into the root of the onion, and that's actually where the magic usually lies of what they truly desire. And if you can start diving into some of the psychographics of some of their decisions, it's amazing how much faster you can move a deal forward. So what I mean by that specifically, just give you an example so it actually makes sense for such as theory. When you when you start diving into maybe the core objective, like the niches I mentioned earlier, let's just say it is growth we had mentioned, okay? And we start diving into really why it's important because it seems obvious, but you start diving deeply how it actually impacts that specific exec. And they say stuff like, well, the truth is, is because now they trust you as a peer. The truth is, is um, this is my first time as a CEO. I've been CFO. I've been CTO. I've never been a CEO before of a company. I really want to get recognized in the Wall Street Journal this coming year. So now you suddenly realize this from a psychographic perspective, you are d digging into the, their status level. And when you can tap that deep because they trust you and respect you, and this may not be on the first call always, but sometimes a little bit, little bit later on, now you can leverage that to actually move the deal forward. And that's really when you become powerful discovery because, again, deals are made and broken within discovery. Well, Marcus, a lot of people are afraid to ask why questions because they think they're very antagonistic. Why'd you do that? Uh, what, why are you doing this? What have you? But you're essentially asking a why question or a Ted question, a layering question. And people hear 
oh yeah, let's let's say I ask them about their compensation priorities because Pave is a compensation company. Someone might say, hey, I, you know, I, I'm really focused on making sure employees understand their total compensation. And people will take that at face value. But if you ask why and say like, most people don't wake up and think my employees don't understand their total compensation. Why is that the priority you picked? You'll almost always get a story as to this employee left the company, or I've had 10 people leave, or I had these many people complain, what have you, and that's how it ended up on my priority list. Never take it at face value. Always try to get to the root cause of why that is the face value priority in the first place. Absolutely. The the root the root cause drives everything else. And sometimes when they may not know it off the top of their head, but only when you ask questions like the why question. Then obviously you're right. If you if you don't do it properly, it comes off that you're just, you're just coming at them hard, antagonistic. But if you read them and if you sense them get a little defensive, then you can insert other trust based language that says, "Well, you know, Armand, if you don't mind me asking," and you notice here, um, my tone is softened. I'm lowering my voice a little bit. I'm adding some pauses in here. I'm saying, well, if you don't mind me asking, how come this is such a big priority for you? Then from there, you'll be like, oh, wow, you know, here's why. So that's why it's, it's important to understand is the what what you say is important, but how you say it again, back to tonality, can really help you get the truth. Because ultimately, as a salesperson, all you want is the truth. When you have the truth and you have clarity, this helps you know, number one, is this worth my time? Can I truly help them? If I can, great, how can I help them? Marcus, we have talked about a lot of wonderful things that salespeople should be doing, but I want to flip that on its head and ask you the inverse. So the final question is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that they need to break because it's hurting them more than it helps? Sure. Um, Well, I'll say the simple one is they live day by day. And what I mean by that is they're not taking the time to properly prepare and look ahead in advance of what their whole week should look like, what their whole month, what their whole quarter should look like. So I'll give you a really specific example. Let's just say, for example, you're thinking, hey, I, for my quota for the quarter, I need to sell, let's call it a quarter million dollars. And then they put in their funnel in their pipeline. They're like, oh, I feel pretty good. I have about 300000 in pipeline. I'm feeling pretty good. You are still living day to day at that point because the truth is, is you very rarely will close 100% of your funnel. That's just, <laughs> I, I've never done that. Maybe you've done it if you're lucky. Maybe you're probably better than me if that's the case, but I've never done that personally. So when you are looking ahead and you're really thinking about how to not live day to day, but live, live actually in the future, you're looking at your pipeline now. Let's just say, for example, you want to close $300,000. You know you have a 25% closing ratio. Well, now you can take that pipeline, multiply four. I now need a $1.2 million in pipeline that's active to close at least $300,000. So when you start thinking this way, this now causes you to change behaviors and habits to not live day to day, but now how can I structure my, my days, my weeks, my months to ensure I'm going to not just hit my number, but far exceed it. And with a little bit of luck, of course, from the sales gods, if you will, I'll do way beyond it as a result. Beautiful. Marcus, anything you want to promote before we jump off here? Cool, man. So uh, super simple. Like, uh, First of all, thank you so much for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure as usual. If you're not following me on LinkedIn, make sure to follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, easiest way to access all my free trains, et cetera, is just head over to my LinkedIn page, go to the feature section. I got free trains inside there to help you earn additional 5,500K more in commissions and bonuses. Beautiful. Marcus, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody, stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon.
Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Marcus Chan include number one, replay or role play the worst case scenario over and over and over and over again. So you are never surprised when you get a tough objection on a cold call. Number two, early in the sequence, use the 70% callback voicemail, which includes you just referencing that you work with a similar company or you're calling in regards to a similar company. And that's it. Don't tell them what you do, where you are, give them your phone number, get off. Number three, when you jump onto that discovery call, keep it cool. Don't overstructure because you will give away your junior stature relative to an executive. And lastly, number four, don't be afraid to ask root cause questions or tell me more or why questions to understand the intent behind the priorities. All righty, Nick, how can people help us out here? If you have a friend... Send this show to a friend. Some of you might not have any friends, and it's just you, me, and Armand, and that's okay. You don't have to share it with anybody. We'll give you a pass this week. But if a friend of yours exists in this reality, consider sharing the show with them. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. 
Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. 